Welcome back to the Commitment Issues Podcast. It's been a long time. Uh, we shouldn't have left you uh, without a dope pod to step to, but we're back. Woody Womack joined on the phone uh, from Miami by Rob Casty. Rob, how's it going today? It's going, man. It's uh, sunshine and rainbows and all-star games. It's, you know, it's all the all the rage. And uh, Nick Kruger joining us, of course, from lovely Austin, Texas. Nick, how are you? I'm good. I'm jingling all my bells. I'm ready for Christmas. Uh, yeah, so we want to, in case uh, we, people have forgotten since we've been away for so long, we want you to visit Rivals.com, check out all our coverage. We've got a ton of stuff, National Signing Day right around the corner, and uh, you can find all of us on Twitter. The, tw- the show is at Rivals Podcast. Uh, emails, you can email us, RivalsPodcast at Yahoo.com, and of course, uh, subscribe on iTunes, leave us a review, it helps us uh, reach new audiences. Uh, we're also on Google Play and several other platforms. So, boys, let's get right into it. It's been a long time. Uh Trevor Lawrence, the number one player in the class of 2018, commits late last week. I guess uh, shocking a lot of people by committing to Clemson uh, over Georgia, which was the presumptive leader for a long time. You know, this is this is my guy in my neck of the woods. But what was kind of the perception? I guess we'll start with you, Rob. I guess from a from a national look. I mean, were you surprised to see him going to Clemson from a guy on the outside looking in? Yeah, you know, maybe I'm not as close to the situation as you are, so I didn't ever see it as you know, a Georgia lock or anything like that. I know that you kind of live in the the teeth of the beast there in Atlanta with a lot of Georgia fans around. Um, So I guess I, I guess the bigger surprise from a national perspective, at least from where I'm from is the timing of it. I don't think it kind of seemed to us anyway, people that don't cover Trevor on a daily basis and don't cover UGA on a daily basis or Clemson, you know, that it kind of came out of nowhere, right? Like, were you expecting as somebody that covers this, were you expecting this announcement to come down in the near future or did this kind of blindside you as well? Well, he told us in August that he was down to his final two, and I'm going to decide any time now. And then any time now, then got pushed to the end of the season. They won the state championship, and then I I didn't get a heads up at all, though, and I don't think anybody did. And it it was kind of a bummer for 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 Trevor, I think, because you know he, he's kind of just a go with the flow type of kid. And he had texted me that night, actually, after he announced. You know, saying that he was kind of disappointed with some of the fan reaction he got on on social media. I think, you know, especially him and his family. I think his family took a lot of flack. Uh, you know, they live here from in who? Atlanta. What are we talking about? From oh, from Georgia, from Georgia fans. fans. Yeah, just you know, really bombarding him about how it was a stupid choice and yada yada. And you know, the, the main knock on him is he he doesn't fit in Clemson's offense because you know he's not perceived as a guy who can run. Uh, which, you know, I think is a little bit of a misnomer. He's not exactly a, a dual-threat quarterback, but he can definitely move. He's not, you know, Drew Bledsoe, uh, as I've told a lot of people. So the, the timing was surprising. I, I personally, you know, it, it, it had to have been hard for him to make that call to go to Clemson, uh, more importantly on the back of them getting a, a two quarterbacks in, the, in this year's class in five-star Hunter Johnson and four-star Chase Bryce. So they've already got two quarterbacks committed. Uh, they've already got two other four stars that are going to be there on campus, uh, you know, that are on the team now. And so then he comes in and just kind of shows that he's he's not really afraid of competition, I don't think. And, you know, I, I wrote an article about back-to-back five-star QBs. It's only happened uh, two times in the history of rivals where we had uh, kids sign with schools in back-to-back years. So it's going to be interesting. Do you, do you guys see – obviously, Hunter Johnson's not in our region – I know Chase Bryce really well. Do we think all three of these guys stick? I mean, what, what should they stick? Nick, what's your opinion on the, the whole thing? 
Well, I think it just depends on what other options they have available to him. Obviously, uh, I, I think if I'm Hunter Johnson, maybe the perception with him is he's he's got a little bit more of a you know a national profile uh so maybe he's more likely to to explore his options more so than chase but uh, again these are all guys that are in your in your guys's region closer to him so um you know i just i just think i'm always going to say if i'm a quarterback i want to give myself the best you know put myself in the best position to play uh you know you, you could have a good healthy competition and and still be you know real close to that starting guy and and just not get time on the field you know because uh, you don't rotate quarterbacks like you do other positions. So, you know, so I, I would I would expect one of them to make a move if there's other options on the table. In my opinion, this is a monumental, uh, you know, addition here. They, they have to, to land somebody of his caliber who's, you know, one of the best players I've ever seen at any position. I mean, I, I was going to make you say that on the podcast. So I'm glad you offered I, it up yourself. I hate you to call do the, hyper- the, the best I, recruit ever. I hate to do the hyperbole, but and, and guess what? You know, this may come as a shock to some of our audience, but I tend to be on the cynical side uh, when it comes to these players who are billed as the next coming. And Trevor's been a guy that's been pushed on, you know, on me from from other people since the time he was in middle school. And, you know, here we are. He's a real deal and he keeps getting better. He's not one of these guys, you know, we a couple of years ago, Ricky Town was a guy that was you know, trotted out as the, the number one quarterback in the country. And the first time I saw him, I was like, this guy stinks. <laughs> you know, I mean, I flat. thought the same thing. I went, I went and saw him. I saw that man throw four interceptions in a game, in a state playoff game for the first time I saw him after having him be built up. And you may recall this. I jumped on the rankings call and said, why is this guy ranked this high? And I got shot down from a million different directions. I was the new guy at the time too. So it's like, what does he know? You know, but boy, I was, I was pretty anti Ricky town from the moment I saw yeah, him. I think the- I think Nick and I both saw him at the Golden Arm Challenge that year, uh, where there was where after Lamar- after I had, after I had already spent you know a, a month smearing his name on the rankings calls, <laughs> right? When Ian Lamar Jackson was actually at that Golden Arm Challenge, Davis Mills, who's a five star now, several other you know four and five star quarterbacks were at that uh, camp, and and Town was you know by far you know, not even in the, the top tier. Now he ends up going to USC, transfers out there quickly, goes to Arkansas, he's transferred out of there. And I think he's probably headed to FCS or something like that, if I had to guess. But the first time I saw Trevor play in a game, I mean, I was blown away. And there's just, it, it, he's continued that going forward. I've seen him play several times and we've seen him at camps. We had him at the the quarterback challenge finals in Baltimore earlier this year, and he just lit it up. So I, I think, you know, the, the depth chart will sort itself out. I think it'll be interesting if uh, Zarek Cooper wins the job next year in camp, uh, you know, as a redshirt freshman. How does that impact Trevor at that point? Or, you know, how, how does it impact the guys that are there? I think Chase Bryce is sticking with him. Something just gives me an inkling that, that maybe Hunter Johnson looks around. I have no info there. That's just on the outside looking in. I think, you know, <laughs> so maybe, maybe he would be the guy. But I don't think I see Bryce leaving. Yeah, that's what I said. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you can, wow. you can wait to wait to steal Kruger's intellectual property. <laughs> um, Nick, time to talk about Walker Little, your boy. Uh, he was seemingly considering Texas really hard. It looked like okay, Herman comes in, he's going to do, he's going to steal Little away from Stanford. You went and talked to him a couple days before the announcement. It even said. Hey, I think he might go to Texas. Well, he he does his announcement uh, with a three-song montage video, which was pretty impressive. I mean, uh, 
a lot of still photography in that a lot of still photography yeah there were a lot of clips of uh giant kid walker little running over people which i really enjoyed but he ends up picking stanford was it too little too late for for texas what happened uh what happened there and kind of tell us you know what a monumental victory this is for stanford yeah i think i think if we're talking about the battle between texas and you know most other <clears throat> Division One uh, university football programs, Texas probably would have won that battle. The situation at Stanford is unique, uh, just from a you know from an educational perspective. Obviously, a lot of uh, you know a lot of recruits want to talk about how they value academics and education uh, when you talk to them, and then you ask them, "Well, what is it that you want to study?" And then they kind of be like, "Uh." You know, I'll figure that out when I get there. <laughs> but but uh, with Stanford, I mean, you're, you're definitely setting yourself up for a future as a, you know, an executive or a small business owner <laughs> at the very least. And, um, you know, but I, I think I think in, in addition to that, it, it was a situation where he was just in too deep with uh, Stanford already has a lot of respect for David Shaw as a football coach and the way that he handles that program uh, and just had a just had a longer uh period of time spent getting comfortable with the staff out there and the coaches. Um, and, and I think when you saw Texas come in, you know, they, it, it's, it's, it's more of a situation where Texas has to, has to step in and try and recruit these guys, even if they, even if they, in their own, you know, private meetings or whatever, don't think that they have a very good chance at landing some of these kids. We saw Charlie Strong staff just flat out neglected to offer some of the top kids in the state. And you have to make a significant play for some of these guys. Now, Walker wasn't one of them necessarily, uh, but 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 they certainly could come in and play up to the fact that, hey, listen, now we've got some stability with the program. There's a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, the coaches from Houston uh, are, you know, well, the, the, the Houston program obviously is in the same city as where Walker Little played his high school ball. So there's some familiarity there. Uh, you know, even even if it's a little bit more detached, he didn't quite get recruited by Houston, obviously, but he had some familiarity there. So, so there was some opportunity, uh, you know, for them to, for them to come in at the 11th hour and try and, and make that, make that strong pitch to him at the end. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah, I mean, and, and I think what we're seeing with some of these other guys that Texas is, is coming close, but missing, just, uh, just missing out on it's, it's the same situation. Just recruitments have gone too far with some of these other kids in most cases that, that it's, it's a little, it's good. It's a tough mountain for them to climb, you know, no matter how excited people are about the program now with Tom Herman as coach. Well, so uh, I think you, all of us can speak to this is Stanford has kind of established itself because of the success they've had on the field the last, you know, five to seven years. They basically, if a kid fits their academic profile and they go recruit him, they, they don't really miss that much. I mean, I think they're about to take uh Connor Weddington, who's a who's a four star kid out of Washington, he's been committed to Washington forever. Loved Washington. We we met him at a seven on seven. Rob and I did, and he was all about it. And he recently decommitted from Washington, and he and he kind of referenced it in his uh, statement about you know this is an opportunity I can't pass up. So, and and it's just it's unbelievable what they're able to do. I mean, they came here to the Atlanta area and got Davis Mills taking him away from schools that were like Florida State and Alabama that were that were late charging there. And it's just like, it, it's to the point now, as long as Stanford is winning, I think if uh, if you have that academic opportunity uh, and, and you want to play winning football, I think they're going to keep getting guys. And that's why they're recruiting at such a high level. You know, it, it, they could probably use to land some more talented skill position players. I think that would really put them over the top, maybe wide receivers or something like that, or some defensive backs. 
But for the most part, I mean, they own these offensive linemen, guys like Little, uh, you know, when they're putting guys in the NFL draft, high-value high tight ends, they're getting top-flight quarterbacks. It's just, it's really amazing. I know, Rob, there's not a ton of crossover, but uh, you kind of agree with me there that, that Stanford basically gets who they want at this point? The only person I can think in, in this cycle anyway that they missed on was K.J. Britt, who ended up going to Auburn, who had a Stanford offer, who by all accounts had the grades to get into Stanford, uh, and they didn't get him. But other than that, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's uh, it's few and far between on the guys that they miss on. I'm more interested in talking about Texas, uh, to going back to what Nick was talking about. I'm kind of on record here as being the podcast's Tom Herman is not the answer guy. Um, I guess what I'm curious about is, okay, so the reason that you bring in Herman, recruiting-wise anyway, besides the fact that he's got a reputation as being an awesome coach, is that you know in the Texas area, he's supposed to be a splash hire, right? Like, this is the name. This is the guy that can recruit to Texas. Well, if you don't get anything off of the initial splash, then what's the appeal? Uh, are we thinking he's that much better of an X's and O's guys than the other available coaches were? Do we think that, I mean, I guess... I understand that people think that Tom Herman is a great coach, and he could be a great coach. I'm not saying he's not. I, I mean, he was in a very good situation in Houston. He could win five national titles at Texas. I don't know. I'm not a soothsayer. But what's the the logic? What's the line of thinking that leads people to believe this is the guy? I mean, it's. <laughs> I, I think you have to squint to see it almost, don't you? Well, uh, you're much more skeptical of Herman, I think, than than I am. I don't know how. Nick I know. I think I'm. The, I'm, I'm the, like I said, I'm the uh, I'm the podcast drum beater on this one, and I'll be the bad guy I, with the Texas fans, and that's fine. I don't necessarily have a strong opinion one way or another. I just think with with a guy like Little, I think you're talking about how long does he have to essentially. No, no, I'm, not, I'm not even talking about just Little. Like throw a Little out of the equation. Like who? I mean, what? What's the splash here? I think when you well ask the other well the other thing you have to Herman, the, well like, listen 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 the other thing that you have to consider too as far as as far as where he fit in the landscape and the timing of his hire. All right, there, Texas A and M had a very full class at the time that uh, Herman switched over. Um, Texas had you know like like I said was late to was late to offer a lot of guys. Oklahoma came in and stole a bunch of uh, kids out of the Dallas area. There there were a lot of top uh, commits that had already been committed for a very long time. Uh, elsewhere, and when you're talking about coming from Houston and some of the guys that he had committed there, he's obviously recruiting a different caliber of player uh, to come to come to Houston than he would be for Texas. So there were well, there once weren't... upon a time Texas recruited itself, right? Like once upon a time there was cachet in Texas. Well, right, right? but now, you but I mean, but now we're now we're a decade we're a decade removed from you know the the point where that was you know that was legitimately the case with them. You know, I mean. Uh, you know, even TCU, for an exa- uh, for example, you know, scoops up a lot of players in the Dallas area that, uh, you know, that Oklahoma doesn't <laughs> hadn't gotten in this in this situation. So the so the well, you know, the well was kind of dry at the time that he switched over, and then and then taking taking from guys that he already had, uh, you know, committed to Houston is you know he want, he has an opportunity to fill that class. He has to make the higher profile guys the priority at this point before he can sure. get back into that relationship with some of the kids from Houston. So and we've seen we, him try we, offer. What? what you're saying in, 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 in an indirect way, though, is that Texas is no longer the state's national brand then? They're the, they're the backseat? This has happened? We're, well, listen, we if, they, if, they, if they win 10 games next season and, you know, and find themselves in the, in the Big 12 championship conversation, I mean, don't, don't you think that the light, the light switch gets flipped right back to 
what the perception is, you know? I mean, I, I, See, I, ne- so. I never thought it flipped off. I, I thought that it was still kind of, they were still kind of the national brand, kind of like even when USC was down, right? UCLA was never the state university of California. Well, but, yeah. Uh, but the other, the other thing, the other thing that I'm saying too, is te- Texas just flat out just wasn't offering a lot of guys that they should have from, to, from the beginning. If we're talking about this season individually, they weren't offering a lot of guys that they should have from a very early time in the process. And so you don't even give Texas a chance to recruit itself. If you never give the offer to a kid, he can't commit to you. You know, no, no, I understand that. I was just referencing Herman in general. Um, like I said, I could be wrong. He could win five national he titles. Came I don't have in, a super did, strong they, opinion Herman on it. His, I am Herman just not as sold on him as the rest of the America seems to be. Well, Herman, Herman and his staff, I mean, to their credit, they came in. They, try, they tried to knock out as many in-home visits as they could before this most recent dead period and, uh, you know, extended a ton of offers. And, and they're still, you know, working on on kids. But, I mean, now at this point, there's only so much they can do until we get into January uh, as far as kids. No, that they I, able I, to I concur. So, all right, boy, that was a lively debate. I enjoyed that. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, you know, kind of a, a topic we we you just touched on a little bit. How are these new coaches recruiting? I mean, we've seen uh, we see we just talked about Texas and their approach. We kind of saw this a similar thing at Willie Taggart getting the Oregon job, and basically he's probably offered at least a hundred kids, right? I'd have yes, to imagine yes, since he's half the state, yeah. which is, which is great because that was the whole, that was the whole point that we talked about before was that Oregon never offered any, some of these kids who have been offered, you, you wonder like, like the number one wide receiver in the country, Hey, blessed to be getting an Oregon offer a month before signing day, you know? And so <laughs> he's already been committed to Alabama, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. He, he, and he got his first offers when he was, you know, a freshman. So you're, you're talking about, and I, and I had tweeted something that, you know, they're finally offering kids they should have offered two years ago, you know, which is kind of the same point Nick was making about Texas, that the, there, there is no shame in throwing out a ton of offers. Alabama does it. I mean, Miami does it. I mean, Louisville, how many kids would you think Louisville offers? Three to <laughs> 500? I mean, we, we reference that on every episode of this podcast, but it's true, man. Like everybody, there's like a, a thing that we reference in the industry called the, the starter offer kit where it's like, it's always Louisville. It's always West Virginia. And it's always like somebody else. And that's like the first three offers you get before you get like yeah. 50 more, <laughs> before you get 50 more offers. <laughs> Each state has its has its own set. I mean, some the kids from Tennessee will see Kentucky, Ole Miss, <laughs> and then usually uh, somebody else come in before. I mean, it's it's just something that happens. And so, um, Oregon's doing a nice job. They went out. They got Thomas Graham, who was one of the top targets of the previous staff. I'll be interested to see how they close once they get these official visits, because you know they don't have much time. Same thing as Herman is when you hire a coach after the dead period's already started or right before. They don't have much time to do a whole lot. So I think we could see some things change uh, with Texas and with Oregon in January. Uh, but but I like the approach of both staffs of getting out there. I mean, Taggart's essentially recruiting by himself, which is pretty funny to see just the head coach out recruiting everyone. They, they recently hired Jim Levitt. Uh, you know, a friend of the podcast, uh, especially on Rob's end, and he'll be doing some re- recruiting as well. So it's interesting. I mean, it's up to the kids to call the coaches right now. They can not the other way around, which is which can be kind of tough, especially if you don't have a network uh, of contacts. And then we, we want to talk a little about Baylor. Nick, what's going on with Baylor? I mean, we, we, we kind of stopped talking about him for a while. They had one commit forever. How is their recruiting going uh, since they went ahead and, and hired a new coach? Well, they've been they've been very aggressive, probably even more so than Texas. I mean, my Twitter feed is just all green and yellow these days from kids getting uh, getting offers from the Bears staff, and uh, they've you know they've definitely 
put themselves in a different sort of opportunity than Texas has. Whereas, uh, you know, Herman came over with a good number of his assistants from Houston. Uh, Matt Rule comes in and hires a couple of high school coaches as his assistant uh, from from Texas. Guys like Joey McGuire from Cedar Hill. You know, just this morning, uh, we saw them offer Joshua Fleeks. They offered Charleston Rambo, uh, who's been committed to Oklahoma for some time. But those are kids that have gone to, uh, that were played under McGuire at Cedar Hill. So now they're finally coming in and offering uh, these types of guys. Fleeks is a 2018 kid, but, you know, you get the idea. So, um, you know, they've they've been really aggressive and they've had a lot of ground, more so than, than Texas has to make up. Because, I mean, it, as soon as the season started, you know, Baylor, you, even though, you know, things were optimistic for their on the field product for the first, you know, couple weeks there of the season. Um, you know, we still don't have a, a great idea of, about what the fallout's going to be when, <laughs> you know, when the other shoe drops with the, the final say on on everything that's going on there legally with them and um, how that might affect, you know, what what they're able to do recruiting wise. Um, but in the meantime, now, I mean, they're they're really, you know, they're they've subscribed to the Louisville uh, strategy of of shotgunning out offers and. Uh, really trying to tr- trying to pull some kids back because you know every single kid that I've talked to about Baylor and I've you know and I've talked to him throughout this um, you know this process going on since uh, Browse got fired. I mean, uh, recruits still haven't written them off, and I think when you have uh, well-known high school coaches from from the state now on the staff there coming in and uh, you know being able to connect with those kids a, a little easier and and uh, giving them whatever sales pitch it is that that might lead them to consider Baylor as a, as a school to commit to, I, you know, I, I would expect them, uh, you know, to be able to salvage this class somewhat. I, you know, I think they've been aggressive enough and uh, probably have enough familiarity with some of these kids that, that they'll be able to, you know, fill up a class that, that we might not have otherwise expected them to. I wanted to go back to the, I wanted to go back to the Oregon thing real quick, Woody, one more time. And just kind of from my perspective and from yours as well. I mean, obviously you're familiar with the program and by them hiring Levitt, which, which you touched on and Taggart and all these offers, they're really putting a lot of eggs in this Florida basket, which is interesting. Um, cause I've always, you know, they've always recruited Florida or tried to a little bit. I just, it's so hard to get a kid from South Florida or Florida in general to go that far to Oregon. I'm going to be real interested to see, I think they'll get kids to commit like they did with McKitty. And it's going to be interesting to see if they can get some of these kids to hold to their commitments now. I mean, cause they, I mean, they're really, they've made the focus besides the West coast. They're really going to focus on the state. It seems. Uh, and it's, I'm really interested to see how this, this pans out for them. Well, especially with Kiffin at FAU now and strong back at USF. I mean, even, even that second tier of, uh, and obviously we saw Scott Frost have uh, some success, measure of success there at UCF this season too. So Matt, I mean, now, you know, now you're talking about the value of, I, I was listening to some radio show talking about the value of a Florida three-star uh, relative to three stars anywhere else. And there's still a lot of value there. But I mean, now that you're talking about these school, you know, these high profile coaches coming into some of these second and third tier level uh, programs that, you know, by reputation, I mean, if you're really trying to pull a kid out to Oregon off of that, I mean, how far can your ties in, in Florida uh, stay when you've got these other high-profile coaches coming in at some of these other programs. Well, yeah, I think one one thing that we should touch on is Rob. We've seen a ton of kids go to Colorado from from Florida over the past year and Utah. And you're still so, only halfway there, you know. <laughs> you're still, yeah, still but, only but, halfway but there. At that point, it's like forget about. It. You know what I mean? It's just in my opinion. You know, we we've seen a bunch of recruiting. Or we've seen a bunch of actual college football reporters reference recruiting, and you know they don't cover it or ask us for our opinion uh we we've seen a lot of them say Oregon just isn't cool anymore it just doesn't have the cachet and in all actuality these kids that you know are 16 17 now were were 8 9 and 10 you know when Oregon was was becoming uh, yeah, I don't cool. think the cachet is the problem at all 
<laughs> well, but, but I, I think they're going to be able to get kids out there. Now, are they going to be able to steal kids from Florida and Florida State? I don't think so. But if they could find guys like, you know, Charles Nelson, who they have now, and Tony Brooks James, who are, who are guys that, you know, essentially, especially Tony Brooks James was from Gainesville, ranked as a four-star in Florida, never even really recruited him. So he's up there now, and, uh, you know, he's had he's had two productive years for them at running back as Royce Freeman's backup. And I think, you know, guys like that are going to continue to emerge, especially And <laughs> I There's still something to be said for, I mean, I looked into going to a wedding in Portland. Uh, one of my friends was getting married there. I can almost fly to London from Miami International Airport in the same amount of time I can to fly to Oregon. Right. <laughs> you don't really have to, something. <laughs> you don't have to tell me. I mean, my family members will tell you uh, with my infrequent visits that it's not a priority to get out there. But at the same time, you know, I'm not making a business decision like uh, <laughs> many of these uh, uh, children are that we cover. So I, I think that I think that as as the way things play out, there there will be guys who go there. They, they're going to have to they'll build. They're gonna to have to build the program off of California, and and you know they, when they were having their most success, their stars were from Texas as well. So, um, we'll see what old Willie can do. But the you know the enthusiasm is there, and I I personally think he's gonna he's gonna have an opportunity to succeed. It's just a matter of you know picking the right guys that that do want to come out there and that are gonna stay and kind of stick with it. So Nick, boy, big news this week up here in the Atlanta area, and uh, also in your state as well. Uh, Tennille Carter, who, you know, some people have ranked uh, higher than us, which I think I'm sure you've heard about this week, if I had to imagine. Four-star running back had been committed to Georgia for quite some time. He was planning to enroll early. I I believe they told him he couldn't enroll early. They didn't have the spots. And, and once they uh, realized that Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb were coming back, maybe they, they didn't have a spot for two running backs in the class. Whatever the story is, he ends up uh, decommitting and flipping to Texas, which was the the subject of a major Twitter beef, uh, which which we both enjoyed. But so what have what, what's the intel on your end? Did he get dropped by Georgia? Because then we had Kirby Smart come out this week and said they they don't drop players. It's not something they do. What was your take on everything that went down with Carter? I have no idea if he got dropped or not. I mean, it does, and it doesn't really matter because uh, you know if 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 Michelle and uh, Chubb or staying, then his spot on the depth chart is going to be buried for next season anyway. If he, he has an opportunity to come in in Texas and make an impact right away, and it was a smart move on his part because Texas just offered, uh, you know, friend of the podcast, Eno Benjamin, recently. So if he wants to come in and take that spot as the running back in their class, he actually does give Texas that high profile commit that we've all been wondering if they're going to get amid all their aggressive recruiting. It wasn't necessarily the guy that anybody expected or the circumstances uh, that they expected to get him in, but he's, he gives them a nice trio. Now we've got Damian Miller, at wide receiver, Sam Ellinger, a quarterback. Now they've got their running back. Uh, you know, so they're building some momentum offensively with this class. They have a couple of good defensive ends. I, you know, I think this is a good opportunity for him. And if he doesn't feel like dealing with, you know, fighting his way up through a depth chart when he has a clear path, you know, to a, to a significant role in another, you know, big program that's even closer to where he lives, you know, who can who can fault him for that decision? That seems like an easy choice to make. Yeah, I I, I, I thought it was interesting that, that Smart came out and addressed it in his press conference like that when he was asked about it, saying they don't drop players. He said basically his explanation was we don't drop players, but we move them ahead. So I think he was kind of suggesting that they would have taken Carter – on signing day, perhaps to en- then enroll in the summer, but I, I, you know, all he had been on course to graduate early, and uh, he would have just kind of been without a place to go in terms of school. 
And then uh, last year we saw with a uh, friend of the show, Randricus Davis, I believe they they basically, uh, you know, kind of asked him to hit the road uh, with, with the, after Kirby Smart took over. He ended up at South Carolina where he played a little bit this year before he got injured. Um, so I, I, I don't know if I don't want to rip Kirby, you know, uh, you know, I don't know him well on a personal level at all, but players are going to get dropped. I, I don't think that's any question. Uh, Rob, what, <laughs> what did you think of what Kirby had to say about they don't drop players? They just ask them to gray shirt or, or yeah, whatever. it's, it's technicality. Like almost everything a coach says, right? Like, I mean, Coaches are politicians first. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure they don't drop kids. I'm sure they've never called a kid and said, hey, guess what? Your scholarship no longer applies. Hit the road, Jack. But at the same time, you know, they can press to gray shirt. There are ways to drop kids without dropping kids, you know. Uh, or you can dissuade them. Like, I've, I, I know players that have been called by coaches that are like, look, you can come here if you want, but... <laughs> and then gives them a million reasons why they won't see the field or this is why it's not a good fit for you. But it's your choice, you know. If you want to come, you can come. But they can make it really uncomfortable for you to come. And then they can still grandstand and say, hey, well, we don't drop kids. We just tell them the truth. Hey, you can't play. And I'm not saying Kirby did that. I don't know what Kirby did. He hasn't told me what happened. I don't know how that conversation went down. But that is a tactic that is employed uh, by other coaches. I can say that much. Yeah, and we've seen some staffs just essentially stop calling a kid, which I think is the, you know, they, they essentially ghost on a kid, which I think is really, you know, kind of the worst approach. That, but, but major college staffs take that approach every year where they just stop answering a kid's phone calls, tell reporters, oh, we don't consider him a commit anymore, but they don't actually have the conversation with the kid or his parents. So, you know, it's really um, amazing they don't get called out more for that in the media, right? In this day and age where kids don't hesitate to throw shade on Twitter. It happens every once in a while. You've seen it happen. But more that you don't see them come out and just start. Maybe they're concerned about affecting their chances with other schools not to just come out and set coaches on fire for that kind of behavior. Yeah, I think, I think that has a lot to do. There'll, there'll be kids who say it wasn't my choice, which uh, I believe – Carter made a reference to, uh, but you know, like Nick said, he found himself a good home. Uh, you know, anyway, so it's, it wasn't all bad news for Georgia on the recruiting trail this week. They land a commitment from five-star Isaiah Wilson and a truly bizarre, uh, commitment announcement that was part of a school assembly, which I really enjoyed. I've, Rob, I think you would have enjoyed it had you watched it, uh, given your New York roots as, uh, as, uh, all that was missing was, nah, it, yeah, uh, I caught nice. some of it too, man. It was, it was like the most, the most gentrified Brooklyn commitment ceremony in the history of commitment ceremonies, right? There was like a guy with shaggy hair and acoustic guitar. And, you know, it just had like, if you were making a Saturday Night Live sketch about a commitment that took place in Brooklyn in 2016, it would have been set where this <laughs> where this commitment was set. Ironic Santa Clauses, you know, the whole 10 yards. Yeah, yeah. Everything was there except a nice New York pie uh, on the old screen. But uh, Wilson is a huge gift for them. We have him ranked, uh, you know, as one of the top players overall in the country. Uh, I think George is really expecting him to come in. And they did a nice job stealing him away from Michigan, which, you know, according to our own uh, rivals, Friedman, who covers uh, the Mid-Atlantic, Michigan was a team to beat there for a long time. We've seen them have a lot of success in New York and New Jersey. Uh, since Jim Harbaugh has been there. So that that was a big-time get, so we don't want to sell them short on that one um, as they continue to kind of recruit nationally. It's interesting to see a lot of these schools from down here. Florida State uh, does it a lot where they reach up into the mid-Atlantic region and kind of pluck some of the best players. Uh, and I think that has a lot to do with the uh, football culture down here. Uh, last but not least, Rob Cassidy, Cam Akers. Uh, <laughs> Nick, do you want to sing the song or no? 
Whoa. I still don't actually really know what song we're singing when we do that. <laughs> Acres is oh, the place to be. Oh, I, thought it was, I thought it was a Green Acres riff. <laughs> no. no. Uh, the Cam song uh, is in reference to uh, another friend of the show, Cam Newton. And, of course, Jalen Rose tends to sing that song on uh, his radio show. So, so Nick, Nick and I really enjoy it. But anyway, Cam Akers, five-star five star running back, finally going to make a decision December 27th. Uh, he put out his list of finalists last night. I tweeted, I think he's going to Florida State based on some conversations I've had, uh, including a riddle that was recently passed on to me by someone close to him. Rob, what's the feel? We've all- I want you to repeat that sentence because it's the most like re- recruiting-centric sentence in the history of this show. A riddle passed on to me by somebody close to him. So it's amazing. There's been, there's been a lot of riddling going no, on. No, I, I remember that was- happening with Demetrius Robertson as well. You were getting Yeah, uh-huh. there was the also a riddle involved in him. Yeah. I was given a clear riddle, which I, I did solve, uh, which because the brother said, Congratulations. The, 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 the riddle at that point was that something you've always said will be, will be something you've always said would happen will be true or something like that. And I had always well, said, what, he, he, did he hand you this riddle on a fortune cookie or <laughs> no, he, t- he text, he texted it to me like any good Riddler, uh, would, I'm not, you, you dis- discuss a little bit of uh, you go ahead and discuss a little bit of Cam and what you think and why you know what we've thought and I'll I'll look up the riddle while while you're talking. Yeah, about not that. to sidetrack this completely, and I'll get to Cam in a second. But not too long ago, I was pulled over. Uh, I think it was right when I moved to Texas by a police officer uh, on the highway, and he came over with his glasses on and he goes, "You know what the speed limit is here, sir?" I said, "Yeah, it's 70. And He goes, "Well, riddle me this then, Batman. Why were you going 85?" <laughs> Yeah, jeez, boy, he's got his own catchphrases. Wow. It was it was really something. Anyway, with Acres, you know, I I was firmly on the old Miss Acres to old Miss bandwagon for a while because I do think that Mississippi thing plays with him. Um, I think that if all things were equal and there was no investigation, that it would be Ole Miss. I think that he wants to stay and go to Ole Miss. I think that waiting for these sanctions to come down, or if they do come down, or word of any kind of sanctions, is going to affect this. I think that Ole Miss is still in play, but for the reasons that you think it's Florida State. I'm starting to think that Florida State is a legitimate option. Uh, I know the weird thing about the Acres thing is this. If you talk to coaches at these schools or you talk to people that cover these schools, everybody thinks Cam Akers is going to the school that either A, coach or B, cover. Uh, usually, this, we saw this last year with uh, King Cabongo, uh, who ended up the Juco kid, where everybody thought they were getting him. My coaches are like, yeah, you know, done deal. And people that cover the schools are like, yeah, you know, it's done deal. So it's really interesting to see when that happens, how disappointed these coaches are in the end. And I think, I mean, obviously, a lot of these coaches are. I think Tennessee is going to end up disappointed. They think they have them. I don't think that that's going to happen. I think this is either Ole Miss or Florida State, and I'm starting to lean slightly towards the Florida State side. Okay, so are you ready for the riddle? Well, I will read the riddle, uh, and then we will make our predictions. Nick, you included. Okay. Um. Can you please start it with riddle me this? <laughs> well, I've, I've tried to. I can't give away too much because I don't want to reveal the source of said riddle, uh, the Riddler who gave us this riddle. Uh, there are a few different variables right now with the few teams left. Okay, so uh, of the few teams left, there are Ole Miss, as we mentioned, LSU, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida State. Right? Am I leaving anybody out from the from his graphic that he used? I think that's it. That's basically it. I'm, um, okay. Ready? Yeah. 
There, he riddle likes them all, but he, riddle me this. He likes them all, but there is only one true fit as a whole, as a whole, including stability within the staff and consistency as a contender out of the ones left. You've been in this long enough to know the best fit out of Tennessee, Old Miss, Georgia, LSU, and Florida State. So the riddle would be, which is the school with the one true fit that includes <laughs> the one stabi- true, this is like a romantic comedy <laughs> that includes stability within the staff and consistency as a contender. So my guess would be because of those riddling facts and me being in this long enough to know, as the said Riddler said to trust my instinct would be Florida state out of that group. Now, Tennessee has not been a consistent contender. Ole Miss has not have staff stability. Neither does Georgia. They just have a new coaching staff this last year. LSU has a new offensive coordinator. So that would leave us with Florida State, correct? Yeah, I mean, that's 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 what I would think. Okay, Nick, what's your take on the riddle? Uh, I, I would say Florida State or... Uh, j- just because of my own regional bias, I might I might suggest LSU might pop into that mix too. Well, but they do they fit? Do you think they're a consistent they contender with? Staff well, they also don't, they don't even they don't yeah, even but have but a you staff. gotta but you gotta understand like people people's perception of like what consistent contenders are is probably shaded by the fact like it's a power team in the SEC. You know what I mean? I was just trying to offer a different answer so we didn't all have. <laughs> Well, here's my thing. My answer is whatever gets Woody to whatever gets Woody to dress up in a question mark Riddler costume for the signing day show. <laughs> yeah. Well, so so me me predicting Florida State then led to several arguments in my mentions of from Ole Miss fans, <laughs> and boy, some of the some of the things <laughs> the things that people want me to do if I'm wrong are not uh, not safe for the old podcast without giving us the explicit tag. So uh, I wish I could really read for the tweet do, of the do, week. Do, uh, do, do, yeah, do any of them in, include a motorized? Uh, no, no, don't even say it. That's the end of the discussion. I was trying to find a word to use that wouldn't get me in trouble. <laughs> no, they don't. Uh, so anyway, Cam Akers, you know, we think he's a special talent. Uh, our projections have him going to Florida State. So uh, I'm always, I would not be stunned if he went to Ole Miss just because, uh, you know, he's he loves his state. He loves Mississippi. He's always talking about it. But uh, the aforementioned Riddler uh, didn't even give me a riddle to say that Ole Miss was out. So. So that's the Riddler who will, who will name uh, who remain nameless as uh, our conversation was uh, not for attribution. So, moving on, it's time for the tweet of the week. Don't stop tweeting me, man! You chicken. Uh, it doesn't come from my mentions of people telling me to do things to them. It comes from our boy Ch- Jake Steinberg, who tweets. Uh, 37 of the 44 Pro Bowlers were three-star or lower recruits. Don't let a system define you. Stars don't measure heart. Now, of course, there were 88 Pro Bowlers named, not not, not 44. Yeah, I was, was going to say, that's not even an accurate stat. It wasn't even close. There were 25 four-stars and, and uh, 11 five-stars. So that you do, you do the math there. That would give you 36 of the 88. And not to mention... Eight of the players were not even uh, were too old to be ranked by rivals. So anyway, that's not the point. He was wrong at Steiny thirty one. But the reply is now our tweet of the week from Walt at Walter P Whitney. He says, "I didn't even know they ranked Pro Bowlers coming out of high school." 
<laughs> which, which really made me laugh. I let him know that it was really funny. So, uh, yeah, the, the pro bowling, the PBA rankings, you know, our boy, who do you think you are? I am. He would have been a five star uh, for sure. Right, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, big shout out for Walter uh, Walter Whitney putting his full name and his handle so everybody can really give him the cra- congratulations he deserves. Great job, yeah, Walter. Thanks, Walter. Thanks, Walter. We love you. We love you, pal. Um, game of the week. Now, we decided since our, we've been so inconsistent with recording uh, these podcasts because of our travels and we'll both, both sets of us will be on the road uh, in the few weeks coming up and we don't want to get too distracted doing the podcast uh, when we have other work to do. So uh, we'll start uh, going back our season record. Rob is 8-3 and three on the year. Nick and I are 7-4. and four. That's picking against the spread. Uh, we'll start with Washington. Rob's making you rich, that. boy. I mean, I really hope I've made somebody some money. Yeah, your boy. 8-3 eight, eight and three is a good record. And say, hey, guess what? 7-4, and four, you're still making a lot of cash as well. Uh, Washington uh, against Alabama. Alabama, 14.5 point favorite. That is a big number out there. Let's start with you, Rob. What do you think? I got the, I got the Huskies, man. Um, I think that Alabama's clearly the best team in the country. They're clearly going to win this game, but they're not winning by that many points. I mean, Washington has some talent. Uh, I really, really like the quarterback situation there, obviously, as everybody else does. Uh, I think it's going to be an interesting matchup of differing styles, too, right? I mean, I don't know that, that Alabama's kind of seen an offense exactly like Washington's in the SEC this year. Uh, and I think it might give them a little bit of trouble. I mean, I think they're going to win this game by – a touchdown, maybe 10, but I, I can't see this being just a blowout like that going away. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to agree with you there. I'm going to take the Huskies. If this were a, if this were say scheduled a week after the sec impact 12 championship games, I might take Alabama to cover that spread, but I'm, I'm relying on Chris Peterson here. Washington is kind of, you know, uh, hasn't played the, their best game offensively over the past month or so, but I, I think giving them a month to a player prepare. We've seen Chris Peterson in these bowl games before when he was at Boise State, where he had a long time to prepare, really excelling. So I'm going to take the Huskies to cover that. I, I also have Alabama winning, though. Nick, what do you got? Yeah, I'll agree. Uh, I think if we did this podcast a little bit later, we'd see the spread go even a little bit higher, which would be better for us at, at this point making this prediction. But I, I I'm, a, I'm. In agreeance with you guys as far as Washington being able to handle that spread and whatever it ends up ballooning to. Uh, moving on, rants and recommendations. Let, let's go with, with, we'll let Rob, uh, oh geez, let's let Rob start uh, with his rant and uh, and then and then we'll, we'll go around. Yeah, we're going to skip the recommendation, I think. That's more on the sheet of the joke. So I, I, <laughs> okay, I, realized, right. I realized that's why you were like, oh God. Uh, my thing is, 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 is with, you know, you know what I enjoy the Woody Womack? I enjoy bowl games. Um, I would watch the two worst. I would watch Kansas play Rutgers in a bowl game. Like I, I kind of like these odd matchups. I like that there are more football games. I like that they're on in the middle of the day. I like that they're part of the holiday season. There's not anything to hate about these games. So I don't understand this crowd of people that like carry this flag. There's just too many bowl games. There's too many. We got to cut this down by half. And it's like. Why? I, I, why? It's hurting you that there are too many bowl games? Is somebody like forcing you to watch all the bowl games? Do they know that it's okay if they skip one and that people aren't going to show up and torture them if they miss one? I, what stake do these people that complain about the number of bowl games have in less bowl games? I mean, how does this affect their lives? I, I like the fact that there are a lot of them. Um, if there were less of them, uh, who does that benefit? <laughs> I guess I don't, I don't understand. Like, Do they think that... 
Do you have well, the other thing too is even if you subtract even if you subtracted 10 bowl games would you even know the difference because uh, <laughs> there's you know I obviously obviously they're obviously they're for the players they're for the players to go out there I mean you know we just looking at just looking at the game that uh Tulsa played yesterday or the day before I saw a tweet uh somebody took a picture yeah, right here from the in my backyard box. it was awesome yeah 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 well somebody took a picture from the press box put it up on twitter and there had to have been like it looked like a marlins game in the sense that there were only 700 people in the stands or something like that but you know what i mean obviously it's obviously it was for the guys that didn't have a chance uh and we're never gonna have a chance at, at you know competing in the in the college playoff is group of five teams or whatever and uh, you know, so just let them have their, you know, that's their national championship for one afternoon yeah, you know, or whatever. I, I, I watched it at home and it was awesome. And it didn't hurt anybody that didn't watch it. Anybody that didn't want to watch it, nobody made them watch it. I, so I, I guess I, they're just complaining to complain, I think, about like they just want to seem like maybe it's like the baseball writer argument where this many bowl games hurts the integrity of the games. And it's just the biggest load of crap. No, I, I agree with both you guys. It's a stupid argument, and it's one of those things where there's not people on the stand. Guess what? These are made for TV bowl games, and the kids want to go have. Guess what? If I'm if I'm on Western Kentucky and I get to go down to Boca Raton uh, and, and get to go to the beach and hang out and have a good time, get some free clothes. You know, I, I think the one argument is if if the teams are required to buy the tickets and they end up losing money, that's kind of a bummer. But in my opinion, it's no different than playing any other non conference game. It's a reward for for an excellent season. And, well, those teams. Uh, can decline the invitation right like if they're really that hard up for money and they don't want to go that's on them like the belk bowl isn't kidnapping a team and forcing them to, <laughs> to play against their will right exactly i i i think we're all on board here uh with this one and <laughs> nick now you've got a complaint here i want to i want to i want to hear what you got to say about well this I'll, I'll i'll keep these as, as brief as possible i have three mini rants and i'll start right now uh as you guys know i'm a i'm a big uh you know, I talk a lot about crowd reactions, marching bands, etc. Uh, lately, the I believe that we will win chant that everybody is familiar with these days. Uh, I've noticed a rash of fan bases uh, waiting until after their team is winning with seconds left on the clock to start that chant <laughs> after the game is in hand. Instead of doing it, uh, you know, when your team really needs it and maybe you're down by a score or two coming out of the half. You know, that's that's not really helping anybody. So, you know, let's time those out better, people. Uh, it's the holiday season. Of course, we're all doing holiday uh, shopping. Boy, perfume commercials are really, really strange, and I don't understand any of them. Uh, the one with Johnny Depp is the one that takes the cake where he's driving out in the desert and digging a hole for nothing and uh, really just looking out of sorts. Uh, the one with um, Charlize Theron's getting a lot of play around here. Maybe the most sensible one, if this tells you anything, is the one with Julia Roberts, where she's walking into a party and touching a wall and making it disappear. That seems to be the one that makes the most sense to me for some reason. Uh, and then lastly, you know, I was at the state championship games in Dallas, uh, this past weekend, as many of you all will hopefully see some of the video that I put out over the next couple of weeks, but boy, oh boy, was it difficult to shoot because security guards in pushing me all the way back behind the yellow line on the field in turn, stand basically on the field themselves, blocking my shot that they've now uh, stiffed me with. So uh, shame on you, security guards. Get your act together, uh, stadium staffs, and, and let's let's uh, coordinate sight lines a little bit better for the media. Well, uh, you know, a, a security guard actually at the Superdome in New Orleans grabbed me by the arm, uh, and uh, as I was walking behind the team's bench, 
And uh, you can imagine how that ended. Uh, <laughs> somehow I didn't get kicked out, but it didn't go well. So I'm with you on that one. The The rule is not the yellow line. The rule is the white line, which I, I don't understand why why they made up the yellow line rule, uh, you know, after the fact. But <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm a rogue soldier out there. So anyway, I, I don't really have a rant this week, surprisingly. I'm trying to keep things positive, uh, you know. <laughs> want to make sure uh, everything is on a positive front from my end. But Nick, I know you've got a good recommendation. You've been talking to me about it nonstop, so let's hear it. Yeah, uh, Australian cinema gets a lot of uh, bad publicity, ah. obviously. <laughs> obviously, Sorry. we've seen Saturday Night Live with a string of sketches making fun of it. Um, but there is, and Rob, I mean, maybe you've even seen this and not even realized it was Australian because it's on Netflix. It's just a one season of a show, uh, that I flew through the past couple of days, cutting some video and, and watching at the same time. It's called glitch. Uh, it's about a, a group of people in a small town, presumably in Australia, I guess, uh, that all return back from the dead from different, uh, you know, varying lengths of time they've been dead, but they all, when they all come back from the dead, they're their normal selves. And like the, the, the time that they were killed or. Uh, died or whatever so there's no wear and tear from being in the ground for years in some kind uh, some cases a, a century or so uh, and so they're just trying to figure that all out the bummer is it's just one season on netflix so uh, i don't know when season two is going to be released it's, but it, it's, it's called it's switch really glitch glitch oh glitch i will this actually <laughs> sounds like something that's right up my alley i, I would like to watch this i will watch yeah this. yeah yeah i mean it's like i said if i didn't you, you might have thought it was british or something if i didn't you know, although I don't know. When you started in, I thought you were going, I thought, I thought your take was going to be Australian cinema gets a bad take and here's why it's awesome. <laughs> it's like, this is <laughs> yeah, weird. <laughs> no, nah, it's just some Australian show, I think, you know, not as good as S Club 7, if I recall, but it's up there. Well, uh, while you're watching Australian shows, anything by Chris Lilly, I tell you what, uh, some little bit uh, pushing the envelope in terms of uh, some offensive content for the safe space group that, uh, that Rob Cassidy uh, subscribes to, but <laughs> uh, Summer Heights High, the by far the best yeah, one. Yeah, it's, it's uh, great, man. It is amazing. That is a, a great show. So anyway, all right, that wraps it up for us. We'll, we'll hopefully be back. We'll have some stuff from the All Star Games. If you want us to talk about anything specific, reach out Rivals Podcast. We want to thank our boy M Deuce uh, for providing us with the beat for the show, the intro, the outro, and uh, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. We'll be back with a new episode hopefully next week. 